I'd like you to go ahead and turn over to Acts chapter 10, and uh, we're going to be talking today about uh, open doors and how powerful that is in all of our lives. <clears throat> this happened nearly 20 years ago. It's hard to believe it's been that long, but uh, how many of you remember the very first Mission Impossible movie? Anybody see that? Okay, three of you. Good. Okay. Well, when it first came out, it was kind of a big deal, and I was at a, a small town in Illinois called Fairfield, and what we did is a, a bunch of us got together, and uh, we had decided kind of a spur of the moment. We're going to see that movie in this brand new theater in Mount Vernon, Illinois. Well, this sounds so hickish. And Mount Vernon, Illinois, I went to brand new theater. So anyway, we're going to this theater, and it's okay. Be at the church parking lot at such and such a time. Going to load the van, all these guys, and, and we're going to get over there. And uh, got in the van. Sure enough, there's always somebody running late, and we're like, okay, we'll miss the first preview. No big deal. Second preview. Okay, we're barely going to make the movie on time. And that's if we drive like Christians. Okay, so anyway... <laughs> We load it in the van, and I mean, we're busting it. And as I'm driving, it hits me. Man, I really, I really have to use a restroom. I'm trying to have a gentle way to say. So I'm, I can't really think about the movie right now, and I'm focused. So we were pulling in the, the parking lot, and I, I leaned over my buddy. I said, buy my ticket as quickly as possible. Tell me exactly where you're headed, and I got to use the restroom, and I'll meet you in there. So we're all running to the door, and and uh, I wave at the guy, and I'm pointing, you know, he's got my ticket, you know, sign language, run to the bathroom, sitting there, and I'm thinking, what a beautiful theater, I can't wait to see this movie, and just as I'm sitting there, I'm looking underneath, and I see these heels walk right by me, and I'm like, this is Mission Impossible, you know, and, and boy, I mean, as quick as I can, I bolt out of there, and then I can't stop laughing, I mean, I, I sit down, and, you know, the bold music starts, and I'm like, man, I went to the wrong bathroom, you know, it was just... Now, but confession is good for the soul. How many of you have ever gone in the wrong bathroom? Raise your hand. We are, I mean, this is a strange group then, okay? Now, here's what I, here, there's a life lesson. I know you're thinking this has nothing to do with church, but here's my life lesson. Sometimes in life, even though there's an open door, it could be the wrong door. And I tell you, we all know in our life journey, sometimes we go through the wrong door. We just... We make a bad decision. Uh, maybe we've had some friends that lead us a certain way, and it doesn't take long before we realize that just because a door is open doesn't mean it's necessarily the right door. We're going to get into a text that I'm telling you, God blows this door open, and he says, now, here's the deal. Are you willing to go through the door? It's a question for all of us. Some of you right now, this may be the struggle that you're having. God has laid something on your heart, and there's a door. And you have to make some tough decisions. Are you going to go through the door or not? Okay? So turn with me over to Acts chapter 10. And I want you to drop down to verse 9. And we're going to pick it up. By the way, didn't Madeline do a great job reading scripture this morning? Let's give her a big hand. Okay, here we go. Verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went, Peter went up on the roof to pray. And he became hungry. And he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open up, and something like a large sheet began being let down on earth on four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And then a voice told him, let's read this together, get up, Peter, kill, and eat. Now that seems like a really strange dream or a vision. But I want you to know how important this really is. God knows I've got to get his attention. So how does God get a man's attention? 
right before he eats, okay? So he knows, he goes up on the roof, and he's hungry, and he has this dreamlike state. Now, I just want to pause there because for years, uh, being in the ministry, I've had people ask me this question. So I just want to take a few minutes to address this question about dreams and visions. Here's the question. It goes something like this. We read a lot in Scripture about dreams. Does God still use dreams today? Because let's face it, we all have dreams. So I started doing some digging, and let me just give you just some bullet points about dreams. If you like to take notes, you can write some of these scriptures down. It's an interesting study. Here's what I found, first of all, about dreams. Number one, dreams are fleeting. Psalms 26.1 tells us that, that dreams are fleeting. Second of all, and I love this one, is that dreams come from activity. Now let me read you this text. It's an interesting text. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 3. It simply says this. As a dream comes when there are many cares. In other words, have you ever noticed that when you're really stressed out about something or you're trying to make a big decision, somehow that shows up in a dream? Sometimes it's a very strange dream, but it shows up in the dream because you've had a, a lot of activity. Let's say you've been doing yard work for the entire day. You're wondering why now in this dream it's a yard in Africa or something. You're like, that doesn't make any sense, okay? But Scripture's clear. Sometimes you have dreams out of your activities. Next thing it says is that dreams can be used as heavenly signs, as we find in Joel chapter 2. Let me read this Scripture, and then let's spend just a little time on this one. This is a, is a big one. Joel 2, verse 28, And afterwards, I will pour out my Spirit on all the people, your sons and your daughters with prophecy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see what? Visions. So now we're going from not just dreams to visions. Now here's something I've read for years, and I bet you've experienced this about dreams. Uh, they say the strangest dream that the average person has is right before they wake up. And that the reason it's so strange is it's a combination of all the previous dreams you've had. And I thought, that really, is that really true? I remember, and then I thought, have you ever thought about the dream you have right before you wake up? Like you're at Lake Monroe, and a hot dog's chasing a donut, and you're like, you wake up, you're like, whoa, you know, what was that? And I think that probably is true, that somehow it's combining all these dreams, you wake up and we're kind of confused, and so sometimes we're like, can God use dreams? So let me just back up and say, what Peter had on that roof at noon wasn't a dream. How do we know that? Because he tells us, it's not a dream, it's a vision. And this is a clear vision, and it's clear what God is trying to communicate to Peter. Now, remember what Peter's spiritual battle was in his life. He was all in with his relationship with Jesus Christ. He was willing to go anywhere for Jesus. He would die for Jesus as long as who else would follow Jesus? Jewish people. He had nothing to do with the Gentiles. He, had, he wanted nothing to do with the Gentiles. And that's why three times God reveals in this vision about these clean and unclean animals. Now, in case you want to do further study, Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14 in the Old Testament, way there in the beginning of the Bible, it tells God's people that here are clean animals that you're supposed to eat, and there's a whole group of unclean animals you're not supposed to eat. And matter of fact, he says the split hoof animal that chews its cud, that's a clean animal. You can make a list of all those animals, sheep and on and on. You can eat those. But if it does not have a split hoof and it doesn't chew cud, pigs, camels, etc., you don't eat those. So the Jewish people knew this is God's diet, and that actually separated them from the world. 
The world will be taking part in all these things and eating all these things. And part of their discipline is we only eat these things. So Peter, his entire life, that's all he had ever done. He followed this strict dietary law. And now God said, no, 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 Peter, that's gone. Now everything is available to you. Now just think about that. In one day, if God said all the things that you always rejected now are acceptable, would that change your life? Well, it would change my life. And then to say, all these people that you've always been angry about, you need to accept and love those people. It's interesting, if you hang around with ministers, they're a strange group of people. And as they're talking, they're always listening for a, a potential sermon illustration or a lesson. I'm just telling you, this is the way it is. You don't live a normal life. You know, my wife gets so tired of this. You know, we'll be traveling, and she'll say, oh, isn't that a beautiful sunset? Oh, man, that'll preach. You know, so I'll write it down. And so usually it's, that'll preach. But then there's other times I'm like, no, no, that'll teach. And here's what I mean by teach. I love being in life groups. I love being in small groups where you can share life together. And also you can ask questions and begin to hear the responses because those responses, man, I can't tell you how much I've grown over the year from hearing other people's faith journey. So if you were a large life group, and matter of fact, I wish we could break us down into small groups right now, because here's the question that I'd love to ask. In the past, what has God done to get your attention? I would love for you to turn around and just spend all that time answering that one question. In the past, what has God done to get your attention? Because he gets our attention in countless ways. Would you agree? Isn't it amazing if you were to make a list of all the ways that God showed up and God got your attention, what's amazing is one of those ways may be through a dream. I seriously mean that. Some people ask me, can God use dreams? Now think about that. Can the creator of the universe use a dream to get your attention? The answer is absolutely. Should we put all of our weight and our faith in dreams? Absolutely not. That's a scary place to be. Matter of fact, there are whole religious systems that started out of a man-made dream. But we don't want that. Here's what we do want. We want to cling to what the Scripture says, and that is simply this. In 2 Timothy 3.16, God's Word is God-breathed. It's the inspired Word of God. And that trumps any dream that we have. Can dreams be important? Sure. I think dreams can help clarify maybe some difficulties that we're having but don't put so much stock in dreams that you walk away from the inspired Word of God. Can I have an amen on that? I know that's, I mean, just, I want you to know how important that really is. Now, here's the thing. Let's move on. After he has this amazing dream, what God also does is he shows us before this huge scene with Peter that there's this guy named Cornelius, and God also shows up in his life, and these two are on a, a crash course, and they don't even know it with one another, and God's going to change lives. And it's amazing to realize that God will do whatever he can to reach people wherever they are. And he takes these people from polar opposite extremes. Cornelius, who is a centurion, Roman soldier, who's over a hundred men. I mean, a man who is polar opposite from Peter. And he takes Peter, who is an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he's going to bring them together. And honestly, he's going to change the world in that relationship. That's what God does. He specializes in the impossible by bringing relationships together. He reconciles differences. But let me just talk a second about that word reconcile and the power of it. 
Um, years ago, maybe some of the men here, how many years ago, any of the guys here ever attended a Promise Keepers rally? Would you raise your hand? Any of you? Okay, so you, what I'm about to share with you, you've heard this before. Promise Keepers was this amazing movement, especially in the 90s, where we're talking stadiums full of men gathered together to be and challenged to be better men. And there were seven key challenges. Well, one of them was racial reconciliation. And so our church, this is in Illinois, we actually had a seven-series, part series, on each one of those Promise Keeper promises. And when we had racial reconciliation, uh, we had one of our elders, who is also a missions professor at a Bible college, preach on this. And I, I will never forget when he shared this. And he was a missionary in Africa, and I thought, if there's anybody that's got his act together on racial reconciliation, it's this guy. And here's what he said. He goes, I feel really good about myself. I was a missionary. I've been over to Africa. I teach missions to Bible college students. I challenge them to open up their lives, open up their doors, their home, everything to other people. And as I was feeling so good about myself, and he says, as I was preparing this message on racial reconciliation, I thought, boy, John picked the perfect guy to share this. And then it said, then the Holy Spirit got in the way. You know how God's Spirit does this? Like, oh, really? That's an interesting thought, Mike. He said, Racial reconciliation means to reconcile a relationship, you first of all have to have that relationship. Ouch. He said, here's the deal. Most of my time is spent with people who look like me, who act like me, and believe everything I believe. So for me to reconcile is impossible because I don't even have a relationship. My first step isn't to reconcile a, a fractured relationship. My first priority is to actually have a relationship. Now, I don't know about you, but that stepped on my toes because I thought, I'm not a racist. I'm really not. I'm not prejudiced. I really am not. But am I intentionally building bridges with people who don't look like me, who don't believe what I believe? Am I willing to do whatever it takes to reach out to individuals who are nothing like me? And the answer is, I'm not very good at that. I live in a bubble. I'll be very honest. With you. I live in a church bubble. I mean, we've got some characters at Sherwood Oaks, but I'm telling you, it's a great place to live. It's a great place to work. But for the most part, my life is pretty comfortable. Some of you might be sitting here and thinking, you know what, my life is pretty comfortable too. I am not intentionally building relationships with people who don't believe or look like me. This is actually one of the key elements of the West Side. We want to be a place that everyone is welcome. We want to be a place where you intentionally reach out to those that may not believe the way you believe. They may not look the way you look, but are willing to give God a chance. We want to be those individuals, and that's a tough place to be. Because here's the deal. Second point is, and it's critical, is what are you going to do when God opens the door? What are you going to do when he opens that door? Because we all have these moments in life when we sense God's opening a door for us. Now, we have to have the courage to go through the door and get out of the comfort zone. Are we willing to do that? Because that's a tough place to be. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Tony uh, Campala. When I uh, was especially going through early years of ministry, he was one of my heroes of the faith. Uh, he's this Italian. He's 100% Italian. I mean, his arms are flailing, and he's, he just throws it down every time he communicated. And I just love to hear him talking. He's talking about, he's from Philadelphia. He said he was really feeling good about himself. He had his business suit on. He's downtown Philadelphia, and he's walking, and he's thinking, I am, man, I'm a great guy. Look at me. You ever had one of those days, like you look up to God and say, God, thank you 
for creating me. You ever had one? I mean, we don't want to admit that, but sometimes we have those days, you know, well, he's having one of those days. And, and he said, then as I'm approaching this guy, this guy is, he's, he's a homeless guy, but he said, man, this guy has really had it rough because he's, he's got this huge beard. He's got food hanging out of it and he's got this cup and, you know, coffee's coming all over the sides of it from McDonald's. And the guy stops Tony Campala and goes, would you like my coffee? It's from McDonald's, and it is delicious today. And he goes, no, thanks. And then he said, in all my pious Christianity, I said, but how can I help you? And I was all ready to reach in my wallet because I knew he was going to say, hey, can you spare me a $5 bill? And as I was reaching for my wallet, the guy said, I just need a big hug. <laughs> well, that's not what he wanted to do, you know. So I thought, oh, okay. So he reaches over, and he said, this big bear hug, this guy pulls him in and holds him for a long time, like close, you know, like cuddling, hug, in the middle of downtown Philadelphia. And Kampala thought, God, I'm not even sure I like this guy. Now you're forcing me to hug this guy. And he said, then he heard this other voice come over, and he felt God saying, oh, do you remember that crazy little parable that of the least of these, that when you were hungry, you fed me, and when I was naked, you clothed me? You're not that big a deal, Tony. You're really not. And I thought, boy, I've been in those situations plenty of times. So have you. You've been face-to-face with somebody that if you're really honest, you don't like. We'd say, oh, no, Christians don't say that. Let's, let's cut through it. Sometimes we're around people that if we're honest, we're like, I don't even know if I really like you. We are so different from one another. And you sense God saying, you know what? My son died for him, just like my son died for you. So here's the door go through the door. See, the problem many times isn't, God, I just don't know what door you want me to go through. The issue is we just don't want to go through the door because sometimes on the other side of the door is an individual that is totally different from us. So listen to this individual that Peter had to deal with. His name is Cornelius. We know he's a centurion. We know that he's over a a hundred Italian soldiers. And you can imagine the relationship. Think of Peter's memories of Roman soldiers So there's these different levels, I'm sure, individuals that he's not real crazy about. Roman soldiers are probably pretty high on the list of individuals that he doesn't care for. But we also know that he's devout. He's devout to his family. He's committed to God, and he's praying to God. Even though he doesn't know exactly what he's searching for, it says at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, when the Jewish individuals that he observed prayed, he prayed, God, show up. And that's when God showed up. And he said, you know, Cornelius, you just need to take a journey. And basically saying, will you go to this home and knock on this door and this guy will talk to you? And that's exactly what he did. And here he comes face to face with Peter. And Peter, after he got this amazing vision, knock on the door and God says, and away we go. Remember that group of people you hated? Well, that guy's at your front door. Now you're going to do something with it. You ever notice that that's how God's timing is? God's timing is perfect. And you also notice that when God says go through a door, he doesn't usually ask our opinion. He doesn't give us the time to think about it. And I love that about God. God doesn't say, you put together a plan, let's get back together, we'll reevaluate the plan, and then I'll send you a proposal. That's not how God works. God's like, oh, do you want to do that? Yeah, okay, we'll do that. How about now? You ever notice that? And so we're asked to step out in faith and say, God, I will take action. I love this quote by Alexander Graham Bell. Sometimes 
we stare so long at a door that is closing that we see too late the one that is open. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe we've lost a job. Maybe there's tension in our families. Whatever it is, we are focused on a door that is closing. And we focus so hard on that door, we can't see when God is actually opening another door. Don't get so focused on looking back. Because here's what we know about looking back. You can't do anything about it. You can't go back and change anything. God is a God of moving forward. And part of that moving forward is the doors that he opens in your life. So let me ask you right now, what door is he opening for you? What relationship is God opening? And maybe in order for you to go through that door, he's saying you better close that other door. Because if you can close that other door and stop focusing on that, then maybe you'll be willing to go through the next door that I have. Matter of fact, look at verse 34. I love this. It says, Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is. God does not show favoritism. Man, let's read that together again. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is. God does not show favoritism. Let that sink in. God does not play favoritism. God will do everything he can to reach out to you and love you. No matter how broken you are, God loves you. He cherishes you. He'll do anything for you. And he'll also do anything for that person that you don't even like. He loves them just as much. You're a part of God's family. And I want you to think how valuable it is to be a part of his family. So normally, you know, we have an invitation and, and uh, we have Tony come up and sing a song and we don't have to do that today because invitation is where you sit. And we're going to just take a minute or so and I want you to just allow God to just kind of pour over you and I simply want you in this moment of silence because the one thing in our culture we don't do, we never have silence. So in these few seconds of silence, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to pray, God, give me the courage if you're opening a door. And I want you to let God sink in. God, give me the courage if you open a door, then I'd like to pray with you. So let's bow in silence. Heavenly Father, we know that in your word you promise us that if we can just be still uh, and know that you are God, that amazing things can happen. So Lord, help us to, to be still. And Lord, help us to search our hearts. And if there are fractured relationships, if there is tension and stress and closed doors in our lives, Lord, I pray, Lord, first of all, that you can heal us. And so, Lord, we also pray for the open doors. And, Lord, I just pray that we'll have the courage that when there's an open door, that we have the courage to step through it in faith. And, Lord, if we're struggling with an individual, if we're struggling with a group of people, Lord, take that away from us. And, Lord, help us to serve you wholeheartedly, to do whatever it takes to reach people wherever they are for you. And it's in Jesus' precious name that I pray. Amen.